Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, ProofHQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Very excited to be joined today by the one, the only, Tom Webster from Edison Research. Tom Webster's official title, I believe, is Vice President of Marketing and Strategy at Edison Research. But really, we all know that Tom Webster is music maven. He filled out on his little form that he's even a saucier, so we're going to have to ask him about the sauces later. But uh, thanks for joining us, Tom Webster, and welcome to Content Pros. I am I'm sauced right now. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> Excellent. me. Excellent. Hey, great way to start the day. <laughs> Fantastic. We're recording <laughs> this on a Friday, so it seems, it seems fitting. Um, so tell us a little bit about Edison Research and your role over there, because a lot of our uh, listeners might not know what you guys do. Yeah, well... I mean, the, the simplest thing is we're a custom market research company. Uh, we essentially solve problems for our clients by figuring out their customers, figuring out their audience. Uh, the thing that we're best known for is uh, is actually the biggest content marketing project in the world, and, and not by a little. And I know a lot of people don't think of it that way. Uh, but we, since 2003, have been the sole providers of the exit poll data for all of the news networks during elections and primaries and caucus sci. I don't speak Latin. Um, and essentially, even though, you know, ostensibly that is the sole document of who voted and why, uh, it is also content. It is content that the networks use to market themselves. It is content that they use to entertain their audience. Uh, all of that information about, uh, you know, why did you go to the polls and how do you feel about this issue? And are you, is the country on the right track or the wrong track? Those kinds of things. Uh, that's all used as content by the networks. And so uh, we're very proud of that. Well, I'm guessing with exit polling data, you probably can't make mistakes. So let's talk about other folks that are doing research, and pretty much everyone's putting out statistics uh, these days. And do you have any problem or have you had any occurrences of people kind of making up their own data, and what should marketers learn from that? Well, I think that happens and will continue to happen, right? I mean, I still feel like we're in uh, it's early days of content marketing. We're still in content phase one. Um, I think there are a number of companies that are pushing things forward into content phase two, uh, yours being one of them, Chris, uh, in that they're starting to realize that if you're going to put out content that actually helps people, you can't put out unusable crap, right? And there is a lot of research that is used. Uh, I mean, we're awash. We're lousy in infographics and, and uh data points and factoids and things like that. And, you know, anybody can put up a link and say, hey, take my survey and then uh, make a nice graph and say 137 marketers say this. But if you actually want to be helpful, you know, what I really provide in my job and what my brethren in this industry provide is decision support, right? What we sell is comfort. Um, and so what you need to know is, can you trust these numbers? Are you comfortable with these numbers? And if you can't, then they're really unusable. And I think a lot of, uh, well, it is my hope that content marketers who are serious about their trade uh, will, you know, do the do the do the work, do the due diligence to source these numbers, to analyze them correctly, and actually help their their readers and their audience. 
Tom, there's been a lot of discussion, um, not just about lousy content that's poorly researched and sourced, but just the sheer abundance of content and volume of content. And some people have said that the era of content is actually waning because of that overwhelm. So I, I heard you talk about content 2.0. What's your take on this whole, are we overwhelmed by content and is the era of content over or where do you see it going from here? Well, I don't think the era of content is over. I just, uh, you know, the, this is how I like to refer to it essentially in the, it's early days in content marketing. It's sort of like the early days of the yellow pages. You know, the first time that uh, a one limousine company realizes that people are calling them because they're the first one in the phone book. And then you start to get a one limousine and a one limousine. Um, this is still that time for content marketing. And so when you have 80% uh, of the players at the poker table essentially playing the same game, it gets harder and harder to win. So what you do, you, you first understand that in order to make any gains, and they will be marginal gains, you have to work a lot harder and produce a lot more quality content. But when you do that, then all of a sudden you're sitting at a new table. So I think you know we are starting to turn the corner into that phase of content. Uh, I'm personally gratified in that we are we are getting a lot of work uh, from people who are doing who are looking to do exactly that, looking to produce research-based content that will withstand some scrutiny, that will get mainstream media pickup, um, and people are starting to do the work, and I'm thrilled about that. Well, Tom, one of the things I love most from Edison Research is the infinite dial survey that you guys do every year. And I know that you've been beating the drum of podcasts for quite a while. So could you talk to marketers who may not be familiar with the survey and kind of share what you're seeing in the industry, what trends are taking off, and what marketers need to pay attention to specific to content? Well, I think the exciting thing about uh some of the research that we're finding in Infinite Dial, which the new one is coming out on March 4th. We're going to have a, a crap ton of great new data on March 4th from Infinite Dial. You know, we've been tracking digital media in that survey since 1998. You know, we've used the same kind of rock solid methodology for 17 years now. And we've noticed a lot of changes and a lot of shifts. And one thing that's starting to happen with people, I mean, this is a study of humans is it's one thing to look at the aggregate numbers and say X percentage of people are doing this or X percentage of people are doing that, right? I mean, the, the percentage of people listening to podcasts is certainly smaller than the percentage of people who listen to internet radio or use Facebook. However, in a study that we, uh, we recently did called Share of Ear, and I just released a, a tidbit on this a couple of days ago, the people who do listen to podcasts listen to more minutes of podcast audio in a day than any other form of audio. I mean, I think I, I forget the exact numbers, but you know, first the number one form of audio they listen to in a day in terms of total time is podcasts. Number two, their own music files, and number three, AM/FM radio. Um, so we're starting to see a shift in humans, right? You see that same kind of shift in demographics uh, with teens in in America. Internet radio is now their number one source of audio. It's the only age group that that's true of, but it's certainly uh, a harbinger of things to come. So this is exciting in a, in a way, because if you are a savvy content marketer who believes in targeting, who believes in segmentation, you can start to pick the best tool for the job. All right, so best tool for the job. I, I, I'm Obviously we're biased here because um, podcasting is something we fully believe in, but what 
beyond just audio formats, what other parts of content do you think are starting to emerge as incredibly compelling? And how do you know that? Because you guys have such a close ear to the ground. Um, what do you see as important alongside this audio emergence? Because I'm, I'm, I'm excited that podcasts are doing what they're doing, but I want to see what, what else is happening. Yeah. Well, uh, I can tell you just, again, from the, the volume of calls and work on this topic that we've gotten in the past year alone, um, there is a renewed interest in thought leadership and providing thought leadership that is not simply viral, but will, uh, but will have some legs to it, right? So a lot of the, the content that we are being hired to help produce is designed to be real flagship pillar content and not, oh, I need a blog post. But uh, I think there are a lot of smart people out there, uh, and I know our, our friend Tom Martin is a big proponent of this, to have that big pillar piece of content and then atomize it in every way that you possibly can so that you can, you know, basically, uh, you know, amortize that expense over many, many pieces of content. Uh, and that type of work has really, again, it's really picked up for us in the past year. People that say, all right, we want to put out something that is not just going to be shared tomorrow and done, but something that can be a resource that we can pull from for our clients and our audience for month, weeks and months to come. So help us do that. And that's very encouraging and very gratifying. Well, I have a question about content success and you were hinting at that, which is a perfect opportunity for us to introduce one of our sponsors who helps make this show happen, Inbound Writer. And we know that most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website. Wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer does that. It forecasts how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and even search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation, increasing traffic, and decreasing wasted time. Visit inboundwriter.com to learn more. So, Tom, content success. You have two different angles for that. You have the angle for you guys, which is trying to get Edison Research out in front of more people, building awareness, showing that you guys do statistically valid research, not just research, which is the reason we use you guys at Oracle Marketing Cloud. But how do you measure your own content success? And then conversely, how do you try to predict what will be successful for your clients before you start a project and field research and do all the things that you do to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, so we as a company have essentially been relying on uh, what the kids call inbound marketing for 20 years. It's really all we've done. Um, so our measure for success when we produce a piece of content is does the phone ring? I, I, I know that's not the most scientific measure, but, you know, what we have found in our particular field of work is that what gets the phone to ring are uh, mainstream media placements, and those can be offline or those can be digital. Um, the phone rings when our work is cited in the New York Times. The phone rings when our work is cited in the trades. Um, you know, there's another uh, sort of metric and another outlet for us, uh, things like eMarketer, Statista. You know, when they pick up our data and use it, uh, that makes us feel pretty good too because, again, the phone rings uh, when those things happen as well. So, I mean, I think we're also we're pretty optimized in search engines for the various uh, as the French would say, niches that we serve. Um, and I think that's really, that's all been content driven and not sort of conscious SEO driven. So, you know, for that, those are sort of our metrics. Um, 
in terms of our, our, our customers, the people that are putting out content that is based on, on the research and the work that we're doing for them, they'll all have different metrics. Some of them will want to, uh, to build a social presence. Some of them will you know, want a tonnage of, of press clippings. Uh, and we will basically help design a measurement scheme um, to fit whatever their KPIs are. And some of those may be financial, some of those may be uh, PR metrics, and, and some of those may just be vanity metrics, but we all feel good. I'd like to go on record um, as pointing out that Tom Webster, VP of Strategy at SM Research, uses crap ton um, as a metric. So for all you content marketers out there, let's 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 make that happen, people. <laughs> let's define crap ton. What do you think? I, I think, well, I think it's it's in the it's it's in the same chain as uh, hogsheads and fathoms. I think one crap ton is five pant loads. Five pant loads. I, my calculator is not by me right now, so I'll have to do that math a little bit later. But that guidance is really appreciated. Hey, so listen, have, have there, is there a project or some kind of big content monster that you haven't taken on that you wish you could? You guys have access to some of the coolest data and um, and methodology in the world to do this kind of research. What what makes you hungry? What do you want to go study? Uh, I, you know, what really excites me is anytime we can create new facts um, and anytime that we can, anytime we can dive into useful facts that have not been d uh, dived into before, either because they're difficult or uh, no one's had the wherewithal to do it, I, I get excited. Uh, and I know I, I, I've got to think about what it is I, I want to tackle next, but uh, the, the study that we did with Share of Ear was actually pretty groundbreaking. It seems like it. It seems like something like that would have already existed, but it, it didn't. It's actually, uh, we get lots of questions about, you know, what is the total time spent listening to Pandora compared to AMFM radio, compared to satellite radio, compared to, you know, my own music files or, or whatever. And there's no single source measure for that. There's a bunch of people that have varying degrees of measures for those things individually, but they don't sit well together. And so we actually had to come up with. Uh, a, a honking big study to do this uh, with a you know a, a challenging but rock solid methodology, so that people would take this as currency. Um, I'm super proud of that study, and we're now doing that uh, twice a year. In fact, I was in New York yesterday presenting some bits of it to agencies, and you know I, I, that's what's really gratifying to me is when we can go into an agency, and I'm sure that's true for uh, for both of you as well, and have people say, "Oh, that's Edison Research. Oh, I I trust that." I mean, that, that's really what I'm working for. Tom, I know that we did a really fun project together, which was the holiday research project we just did. We were trying to understand spending at um, the B2C, so consumers, how do they actually spend in retail? And we followed the same group of people before and after the holidays, which if you guys want to learn more about that, it's bit.ly slash OMC holiday. But I know you were instrumental in helping us structure that and figure out the right way to do it to break through the noise and not just be another data point amongst 100 other people doing the same research. So how do you work with clients and marketers and specifically content marketers to help them find that one big idea you talked about atomizing earlier? How do you help them find that with the projects you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say I, I was a genius or, or had some secret sauce, but it's it's really uh, 20 years of trial and error. Um, we have, you know, both in promoting our own company and in people coming to us, at, you know, trying to do some content marketing or establish some thought leadership. You know, we know 
we have just a lot of experience, a lot of you know neural connections about what works and what doesn't work. And I think one of the things that uh, you know certainly our president Larry Rosen on down, one of the things we pride ourselves on is is finding we call them spicy meatballs. So we finding the spicy meatball in a piece of data is uh, I, I think is key. I mean you can't just do research for research's sake. You also have to think through well what would surprise people to the positive. What would challenge and what, if true, would challenge conventional wisdom? Uh, those are the kinds of things that we know will get uptake. And you know, we work very hard on our our methods and practices so that it will pass muster in whatever level of publication we're shooting for. But we're also looking for something that is going to surprise people or challenge conventional wisdom, uh, or or give a fact that people have been screaming for but has not been delivered in any kind of credible way. I'm going to take one second here to pause and thank one of our other sponsors, Proof HQ. Um, they help make content pros happen, and we're grateful for that. One of the trickiest parts of content creation is always the approvals and edits. Different people are weighing in with making the logo bigger or asking about photos. So you can kill all that drama by using Proof HQ, which is a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions. Work together seamlessly on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, and more. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. Check it out at bit.ly slash ProofHQ. Tom, I want to know what your biggest piece of advice is for content marketers today who want to do just what you talked about, which is create content that is eminently useful. So not just packing it full of information that's going to be a blip on the radar screen today, but how do you create that meaty cornerstone content? What are the questions you need to ask yourself in order to create something that can have value for a really long time? Well, um, you know, first of all, I want to I want to thank you both for having me on Content Pros because I don't I don't consider myself a content pro. You know, in terms of a a, a great content creator, uh, I can't tell you the last time I updated my blog. Um, but the one thing that I try to do, and and all of us in our company try to do, is when we're going to create content, I, I have sort of three basic criteria for content, um, and then I have an overarching you know, bar that it must pass, right? I, I hope that content either challenges, entertains, or comes from genuine expertise. And over all of that is content that you're proud of. And I think if you're proud of it, if you if you look back and say, could I have reasonably done any better? And I, I would challenge anybody who's crafting content, especially research-based content or data-based content, data journalism, if you, if you can look at it and you say, I couldn't have reasonably done better, then I think you've got something you can be proud of. And I, I know that's a, a pretty sort of basic thing to say, but if you hold yourself to that bar and, and then you try to create content that either challenges, entertains, or comes from genuine expertise, I, I think it, it'll, it'll last longer than a day. I love that. Uh, that's going to make a great tweet from this podcast. That's such a good quote because, you know, it's difficult sometimes to keep up with the pace and velocity of content and sit there and remind yourself, you know, is this challenging someone? Is this entertaining someone? And, you know, am I really proud of this? So I think that's a great way to look at the content. I, I'm curious, Tom, you've been in the industry for a while. I won't date you, but we'll just say Edison Research has been doing this for 20 years, as you referred to earlier. But what's your biggest pet peeve with marketers? You go to a lot of events. What's driving you crazy right now in content marketing? 
it's it's a word that I'm sure Amber knows is a is a vulgarity to me, and that's incuriosity. Um, you know, being incurious about received wisdom and not challenging it to see that if it's actually right for your company, not actually taking a, a you know some kind of received wisdom or or passed down uh, fractured fairy tale to quote Bullwinkle. Um, and then taking it back to your company and, and treating it as if it's right for your company. It's, it's probably not right for your company, but it should give you a good question to ask. Uh, and I think if, it, if those kinds of bits of received wisdom prompt you to ask some good questions about your own business, then that's, that's the job that they're supposed to do. Do you think that there is a way that professionals right now who don't consider them content, you know, it's funny, I was one of those people who used to be this prolific content producer and I had a bit of an epiphany going, why am I just churning out stuff when I'm not really sure I have anything to say? So I appreciate that you put forward the idea of producing content that you're proud of. But I, I want to know if there's a way that someone who, who wants to be that content producer, how do they get started? when they may not be the person who's the prolific blogger or the one who's got a cranking YouTube channel, or maybe they don't even want to have a podcast. How, where, where do you get somebody started with that sense of curiosity to go find things and build great content? Well, I think, you know, the first thing you have to do is decide what it is you want to be good at. Um, and specifically what that is that you want to be good at. Uh, and then it, it probably behooves you to, seek out in the marketplace uh, people that could use that, you know, whether that's uh, guest posts or somebody else you could write for. Because um, I think it's, it's, I'm not necessarily a big proponent of personal branding per se, unless you're a part of the herd at the Bar M Ranch. Um, but what I am a fan of is being known for something, right? And if you can, if you can simply plant a flag for quality and be known for a specific thing uh, and then, you know, get to know people whom you respect, whom you believe will respect what it is you're trying to do, uh, and just and see if you can contribute in that way. Uh, I, it is really difficult to out quantity a lot of the entities that are out there now, right? Uh, it's it's very hard to out quantity the people that are winning at content marketing. Uh, I you know I certainly re respect the hell out of Jay Bear because he has this rare ability to put out both quality and quantity. So it's you know he would be somebody formidable to compete against in that, in that arena. Um, but right now quantity is kind of winning. And if you can't put out that quantity, if you can't sort of match that output, uh, then I would simply go back to, you know, my, what I would humbly advise you to do, which is to only put out things that you're proud of. And that might mean that you put out something once a year. I don't know. We don't put out that many public studies, but we, we can certainly use them for quite some time and they are used by a lot of people. So just, be, you know, try to be known for a thing and then work like hell to be the master of that thing. I love that. And you hit on two things that ring very true with me because to get started in this industry is fairly challenging to make an impact in marketing and kind of rise above the noise because a lot of marketers aren't very good. And I think we try to help with that at Oracle. That's one of the things we try to produce is content that helps marketers. And it's hard to pull yourself along if you don't have a solid mentor or a boss that can challenge you and help you grow. And I essentially stalked Jay Bear early in my career. Um, I, I'm 
happy to admit it. I found him at an event. I went up and I was the awkward guy that was like, I love your blog. It's very nice to meet you. And then we stayed in touch and we became friends eventually. And now we get to work together and we do this podcast together. But that was really an important point in my career to kind of say, I look up to this person, they're doing amazing work. I can't replicate that. I can't come close to replicating that, but that's someone I want to be in their circle. I want to learn from them. So with that said, with where you're at in your career, is there anyone that you would stalk to try to pick their brain and learn from them? And it doesn't have to be around marketing. It could be music. It could be martinis. It could be anything. Hmm. Uh, Daniel Kahneman. Uh, Daniel Kahneman is an absolute hero of mine. Uh, you know, if you've if you've read books like uh, the the Paradox of Choice or Freakonomics or you know Predictably Irrational, that those books those books are all influenced by Nobel Prize winner uh, Princeton economist Daniel Kahneman, who has really done the work in establishing behavioral economics. He's he does have a book out, uh, maybe a couple. Most of his work is sort of locked away in, in uh, academic publications from which a lot of these popular books were derived. Um, if, in fact, if I could sit down and have dinner with two people, uh, three people, let's say, three people, one would be my wife, Tamsin, one would be Daniel Kahneman, uh, and the third would be a, a British chap named Darren Brown, who is probably the world's leading uh, mentalist. Brilliant guy. Mentalist, like like, like read your mind kind of mentalist thing? Well, uh, he would, what he would suggest is that he doesn't read your mind, but that he psychologically manipulates you to think, do, or say that which he wants you to. He doesn't claim to have mind reading powers, but uh, look him up on YouTube. He's re remarkable. I'm learning so much about you, Tom Webster. Um, and now I'm going to be suspicious of everything that you say to me, just for the record. Just kidding. I would question everything I've said to you for a decade. <laughs> good, good to know. I'm taking notes. Um, so we were just speaking of books. Um, I was very lucky to be uh, at, a, at a great little event this last year to, to launch your book. So can you tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote and, and where people can find it? Yeah, it's a, it's called the Mobile Commerce Revolution, and it's co-authored with uh, with Tim Hayden. And it was originally it was Tim's book. Uh, I was hired to translate it from the original Texan, which took me some months. And uh, what I think makes this book near and dear to both of our hearts is it is a book about mobile, but it's not a book about mobile technology, which frankly would have been the book would have been obsolete the day it was published. Uh, I mean, think about what you might have read that book on five years ago, maybe a BlackBerry. Um, so instead, this is a book about mobile behavior, how having a computer in your pocket and having that be sort of a ubiquitous mainstream development has actually changed human behavior in a very short period of time and how companies can uh, predict and, and react to that. Um, you know, and Tim is, is wonderfully smart on mobile and, and what mobility means for humans. And I was uh, fortunate to be involved in this with him. Well, Tom, we're coming up near the end of our time together today. And as you know, at Content Pros, there's one question we like to ask everyone that joins us, and that is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I wanted to be a scientist when I was really, really young. I ended up going to college for English, and I, I did uh, graduate work in English. I then eventually got an MBA, but for a good part of my life, I wanted to be a college professor. And what were you going to profess? 
I think by the end of my graduate experience, my hatred of the graduate experience. <laughs> that, that's so good. Okay, well, good to know. <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much to Tom Webster, the man with the radio voice who shows up Moody and me both um, by tenfold. But thanks to all of you, too, for joining us for this episode of Content uh, Pros Podcast. And thanks to Tom Webster and Edison Research for letting us borrow him for a little while. We'd love to have you head over to iTunes, give us a review, subscribe, spread the word to your friends, and come give us a listen. Um, special thanks to the plugs that Tom did for his book. You can check that out. If you want to check out his blog, don't miss it. It's over at Brand Savant. Um, he may not publish every day, like he said before, but I tell you, uh, richer content you'll never find. So check out more episodes of the Content Pros Podcast over at contentprospodcast.com. I'm Amber Naslin from Systemos. My co-host is Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud, and we will look forward to seeing you next time on Content Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysimos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.